Thank you very much for your time. And Simon, you are a well, very well-established conductor with international experience, who, working together with, for example, Thomas Allen, Emma Kirkby, and Dame Felicity Lott, to name only a few of your collaborators. Um, from your point of view, what is particular about commemorative musical works? In which way does commemorative musical work stimulate people differently when comparing it with other compositions? My experience working at Westminster Abbey for 10 years was very interesting for me. In the course of my time there, I directed the music for about 250 memorial services and events. So I met with families of the deceased and talked to them about the interests of the people who died and the themes that they wanted to express and looked for music that would be very specific and particular to to those people, to those families. And also I've directed music and spoken at funerals and memorials myself. And one of the things that I find is that people speak about music much more quickly than they speak about what you've said. I think that music is, has, an, has a possibility of going a bit further it, more immediately than words. Words take time to, to think about, to, to digest, but music can affect you straight away, like the sense of smell. You smell something, it immediately takes you somewhere else. You hear something musical and it takes you to a particular place. So I do see that music can change people very quickly and can have a very deep and profound effect. Before working at Westminster, I worked at the University Church in London, and that was, of course, connected to many medical schools. And there were many people who had uh, given their bodies to medical research, and then, of course, there isn't a funeral to be had, there's no body to be buried, cremated. And once a year, all of these families would come together for a big memorial event, and again, I had to provide music for that. And people would queue, lots and lots of people would queue to, to say that this was the finale they'd been waiting for, this was what healed them, was helping them in the healing process. And I suppose I see that music has the capacity to go way beyond um, many other forms of art very quickly. And then of course the words you can dwell on and take time over and they can then come to be uh, as deeply significant, but the music and the words together can sometimes take us further. I think that it's, it, it's one of the reasons that led me to start the Parliament Choir was that making music together when you're in combat on a daily basis is a very good thing to do. <clears throat> we rehearse each week with the Parliament Choir uh, in the chapel underneath Westminster Hall and people from both houses um, MPs, peers and staff of the palace all parties represented come together to sing and they might have been in either house in quite robust combat during the day they might have wildly op opposing views and they might find relationships quite difficult but they come into the chapel and they sometimes look very very tense their shoulders are very high but once they come in and start singing together and they as they say, have just four parties there, sopranos, altos, tenors and basses, they start making music together, then that really lifts their spirits. I see them relax, and then they can have other conversations with each other. And 
and it softens things, I suppose one might say. <clears throat> and one of the things that's particularly thrilling to me is when the great and the good singing as amateurs in the Parliament Choir come together with the young professionals of South Bank Symphonia. These are people who've recently left music college, they're in their 20s. They're very, very skilled, but they don't have as much experience of life. They're not dealing with um, the political arena on a daily basis. And so they bring this great professionalism and skill and youthfulness. And in particular, uh, doing this work, Gallipoli to the Somme, which we're doing this evening, um, they are the age of the soldiers that, that, that went to fight, and many of whom didn't survive. And of course, wars are all about um, politics, and politicians are intrinsically involved in wars. So having them all come together to make music, to remember in the way that they do in this work, is, is a very wonderful and healing thing. Beyond what the Parliament Choir does within itself, across the houses and the parties, it also links with other parliaments around the world. So we've sung with the National Assembly of Korea Choir, with the Senators Choir in the Czech Republic, in France with some politicians in Notre Dame, and um, we've done a few performances with the Bundestag Choir. We're doing one in October in Westminster Hall, um, commemorating the centenary of the armistice. And that will also include some of the Commonwealth countries that were involved in the war. And when we went to sing in the Bundestag a couple of years ago, this was just after the Brexit decision, and the president of the Bundestag said to me that this, this is really important, this, this level of soft diplomacy, this capacity to make music together, to remember um, through music things that have been so painful and that are almost impossible to speak about, is is something that we really must strive to continue to do and, and and it has an extraordinary healing capacity. This leads quite well to our next question. Um, when thinking about reconciliation, uh, peace building and music, how can commemorative music um, facilitate peace building processes? <clears throat> so this is the, the possibility of performing together, that's certainly one thing. When um, when I was performing at the Bundestag Choir uh, in, in Germany, the, the conductor of that choir uh, came up. We, we were doing some carols, and, and he stood facing the, the audience, and I was facing the choir and the orchestra, and, and he put his arm in mine, and somebody said, you know, this, this was an, an icon of, of, of two, two nationalities uh, working together. So the, 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 the capacity to, to, to focus on something artistic together, that... that immediately brings people together but of course the the setting of words the uh, particularly in the new work uh, so that the words are reconsidered re um, clothed if you like maybe a different slant and that can really um, bring those words alive and, and sometimes the juxtaposition of those words um, can have a stronger effect than maybe just the, the, the individual poems or, or texts on their own and uh, I think uh, Anthony Ritchie has done this very successfully in, uh, in Gallipoli to the Somme um, he, he took some um, some advice from my wife in fact she's a, um, a specialist in the uh, area of um, the, the great war uh, poetry and music and uh, uh, she came up with some, some poems that were that he didn't know, and he found some Antipodean poems and and this uh, story of Aitken who 
took his violin through the war and came back eventually to him in Otago. And um, I think the way <clears throat> we go from a, a Maori war cry to um, a poem about uh, being on a station, a railway station, and the final parting and going away, never, never to be seen again. Um, and then later on, we, we have some songs in German. Uh, we have some songs that the, the soldiers uh, might have sung, Viva la Compagnie, for example, and, uh, and the first Noel, the carols they sang at Christmas. And then we have Ellen's vigil towards the end, where she sings of her mother and her three sons. And uh, that, that's very, very um, heart-stopping. Um, as, as she's digging, digging. She's, she works on the farm and she digs down into the earth, still searching for her sons. And then we come to the Ataturk um, poem about, um, you know, your, your sons are now lying in our soil, they become our sons as well. And uh, when we sang that in the first performance, the, the choir sang it from memory, as they're going to do in these performances here. And it was terribly powerful. The, the, the choir could hardly sing the words, and, and the audience, many of them, were in tears at the end. So I think that taking those themes, putting them together, juxtaposing them, the way they're set to music, the traditions of music that are brought to the experience all add to, to make something deeply affecting and um, I hope that Gallipoli to the song will have that effect this evening and in ten days time. Um, is any commemorative composition of particular importance um, to you personally? Well, there are two. One is this one, Gallipoli to the Somme. Um, I was involved at the very essence of this work. And as a conductor and um, musician generally, I'm, I'm a recreator. I'm not often right in the creation point. But uh, the orchestra I work with in Dunedin, the Dunedin Symphony Orchestra, its general manager uh, said to me, Creative New Zealand has some money for, uh, for some projects uh, that involve two countries as part of its centenary of, of the uh, war um, commemorations. Do you have any ideas? And I said I thought we ought to um, commission somebody to write something like the War Requiem. And I chose Anthony Ritchie because I've done some of his work. He's a professor at Otago University. I'd premiered his third symphony and um, another work of his when I took the choir, the orchestra to Japan. I like his work very much. It's accessible. It's rooted in some beautiful traditions, but it also has earthy, percussive, strong, rhythmic um, drive to it. And uh, I thought he would be ideal for this, and he took up the, uh, the possibility so, so well, and he's created something of which I'm so very proud, and it's really wonderful for me to be able to bring it to the UK and share it with the Parliament Choir, the orchestra, and soloists that, that I've worked, that I do work with here, my own groups here. And uh, I suppose I had in mind when I suggested that to him, uh, Britain's War Requiem, which I know is also a great favourite of his, a work that he admires greatly, and he, he wanted to think about it, but not really have it too much in mind, because he wanted to do something quite different. The War Requiem is very special to me for many reasons. I come from Coventry, and it was written for Coventry Cathedral, and um, I've done many performances of it in Coventry and elsewhere. Um, here in Oxford, I was at Keble College as an undergraduate, where 
Meredith Davis had been either side of the war and he had conducted the first performance of the War Opium. Britain lost confidence in it, so uh, Davis, who was uh, conducting the Birmingham Choir at the time, uh, did the main performance and Britain just did the, the chamber orchestra. So he conducted it in Keeble Chapel when I was undergraduate here and that was a shattering experience, such a small space for such a huge work. And working with him and having the markings in his score of Benjamin Britten was terribly exciting for me. And then um, I went with the Coventry Cathedral Boys uh, on a tour of Germany um, 70 years on um, from, from the composition, um, no, from, from the, the end of the war. Um, and we went to different centres where there was a, a choral society, Hamburg for example, and there was a Russian symphony orchestra and a Polish chamber orchestra, soloists of different nationalities, and I was there with the boys from Coventry. And again, that was a lot of nations coming together, uh, former um, enemies coming together, and uh, it was quite incredible. Paul Erstreicher, one of the canons of the cathedral, introduced each concert. And again, it was terribly moving, in particular in the Schleswig-Holstein. I remember we got to the end of the performance and everybody stood and and the bells of the church just rang for five minutes, very slowly. Doing, doing, like five seconds between each bell. And that was really, really moving. Instead of applause, just standing there commemorating. And then I did a performance of Warwickham in Coventry Cathedral with the Parliament Choir uh, and Southbank Symphonia. And that was an, a very important moment too, because <clears throat> we were going back to the place where, for where it was written. And um, my father, for example, remembers the Cathedral ablaze. And I was very keen that the people of Coventry should know about this work. There are many things that aren't so fortunate about Coventry these days. It was, you know, raised to the ground in the war, and its <coughs> 1960s, 1970s rebuild is not beautiful. But the cathedral is something of which I'm very proud, in the spirit of Coventry. And my organ teacher in New Zealand, in um, uh, Amsterdam, for example, knew about Coventry because he knew the War Requiem. And I felt that the people of Coventry needed to know this work. Mm -hmm. So um, I managed to get some funding so that uh, the young players of Southbank Symphonia could work in schools in the week leading up to it, and the history departments could look at both of the wars, the war of, of Sassoon and, and Owen and the war um, uh, which, which flattened Coventry. Um, they, they could look at the music of Benjamin Britten and Hulse and all other kinds of uh, war composers that they could look at um, the poetry of the time. So music history and English departments all coming together. And the children um, worked on their own war at Krim. They took texts from people like my father and wrote their own texts and their own music. And they did this work on the day before, the Friday, in the cathedral. And then they were all able to come, the children, um, for free and bring their families to hear this work and the uh, German ambassador came and rang the peace bell and, and it was a very powerful performance we turned the whole of the cathedral around so that the audience was viewing the ruins of the old cathedral through the glass and this mighty music which you know contains the poetry of Owen um, and the, the two soldiers originally uh, Fischer Dieskau, a German and P Peter Pears, an Englishman singing together with a, a band that might have been a, a wartime band and this requiem text uh, with a soprano service and the distant children and their innocence was um, overwhelmingly powerful and, and something I'll remember forever.
Thank you very much.